Today on the Scott Thompson Show podcast, hosted by Scott Radley, filling in for Scott, we are going to be talking about golf courses. We're going to be talking about the LRT. You'll understand why when we get to it. And we're going to be talking about Canada's debt, which they are now saying could be $1 trillion. Like Dr. Evil says, $1 trillion. That's not even a number he can pronounce, but we may be facing that. Stick around. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. First of all, Vic Fideli, who is the Minister of Economic Development, uh, was asked about what is going on. What What is phase one? Here's basically what the announcement in, in a nutshell was today. Today's announcement represents the next step forward in the gradual and safe reopening of our province so more businesses and their employees can get back to work. So that, I mean, there, there's your, uh, there's your headline. All right. So we're going to be starting to reopen the province a little bit. The, the more details, the more specifics. Well, let's go to Doug Ford for a second. He was asked about the list because things that are allowed to be open now include parks, campgrounds, golf courses, animal borders, marinas, retail stores, not in malls, outdoor sports fields, off-leash dog parks, household services, in-person counseling, construction, other things. Uh, he was asked this. There's a massive uh, list, but keep in, keep in mind, Travis, the vast majority of the economy still shut down. Uh, we're just slowly, slowly opening it up. So yeah, so it is a long list of things, uh, but it's not a comprehensive list. There's a lot that is still closed. And why is that? Well, let me give you one more thing that uh, that the Premier said, because the question is, there has been some suspicion or some concern that when you open these things up, there's going to be a bump again and there's going to be a, a flare-up of new cases. What happens if that happens? Here's what the Premier had to say. All of this is dependent on the numbers. The truth is, we can't fully predict where things will go. So we need to be ready to react if we see a sudden increase in cases. We cannot let our guard down now. We must watch the trends like a hawk so yeah, so there is a possibility. It sounds like that we could be back here if this thing flares up again. Uh, we're going to be chatting with a guy who runs a golf course in the city who I know has been chomping at the bit to get things going. They are finally going to be allowed to, and I'm betting that the moment Premier Ford said that golf courses could be open, the phone started ringing for tea times. I received a letter. Someone dropped a letter off at my house saying don't, you know, a lot of seniors like going golfing and please, you know, don't let them go golfing. Well, you got to use your best judgment. Uh, you know, I, that's, that's what I have to say uh, with, with the person that dropped off that letter. And I, I respect that they dropped it off at my house and they, they're concerned. Maybe they have a loved one. Maybe it's her husband. Maybe it's a son, someone. But uh, they were very concerned about uh, elderly people going to play golf and uh, it may not sound fair but you have to use your best judgment that is Doug Ford talking about opening golf courses let me bring in Barry Forth who is the director of guest experiences at Copetown Woods just up high you know where we are Copetown that's why it's called Copetown Woods Barry how are you today I'm good Scott how are you Excellent. Uh, Doug Ford announced it, I think, about uh, 1.35 that golf courses were going to be open starting at midnight on Saturday. Uh, how many minutes after that were the phones ringing looking for tee times? We had our, uh, our booking system turned off until we got the, we heard those words come out of Doug, Mr. Ford's mouth. And so at 1.35 and 7 seconds, we had <laughs> our, our booking system turned on. 
And at approximately 1.47 on May 14th, 2020, golf broke the internet. Um, uh, I think our so. Our servers, the, the tea time booking software that we use, that many other golf courses use, um, we're currently down. We cannot handle the, the, uh, the demand. It is overwhelming. Um, so yeah, no, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. So we're, we're pretty well already booked completely for Saturday. Um, I've never seen anything like this in my life. But you're not surprised, are you? you I mean, you've been hearing from people all along that they're going to be doing this. Yeah, no, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't act like, uh, act surprised. Um, because yeah, I mean, we, we constantly had people calling asking if we we're going to be open every time the sun was out, even if it was, you know, two degrees outside, it, uh, it kind of felt like it could be <laughs> golf weather. And, uh, so yeah, no, I, I shouldn't act as though I'm, I'm fully, I'm shocked, but, uh, yeah, the demand it's, I mean, it's, it's nice to see. And, and I mean, I, I didn't actually get a chance to watch the full press conference and, and the, the, you know, listen to the questions from the media, but, uh, just kind of listening as I, as just before you introduced me there, you know, using your best judgment. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that the government is, you know, sees that, that we can operate within a safe environment. And, um, and I think all golf course owners and operators, I think they're prepared and, and more than ready to do so. And, and just make, make sure it's a, a safe place that people can come out and be active. So how do you do that? And I, and I know that some accommodations have been made and some changes have been made to what people may have done before, but how do you make sure that a golf course and a round of golf now uh, is a safe thing to do and that you're not likely going to be exposed to someone with COVID? Yeah, no, exactly. So what we're, there's, there's plenty of things that we're going to be doing. Um, you know, if, it all starts with the, with the tea time booking process and, and payment structure, you know, the payment process. So when you book a tea time, whether it's online or through us over the phone, a credit card will be taken at the time and payment will be processed. Uh, there will be no access at this time to come into the pro shop to be able to pay for your, pay for your green fee. So that's the first step in, in minimizing that, that contact with, with employees and guests. And, and keep in mind, you know, we have obviously employees and family members that, that we want to make sure that we're protecting as well. And, and, you know, we want to make sure that our, our employees are safe too. So, um, so that's the first step when people come in, their, their experience is going to be where, you know, they'll come in, they'll check in with somebody essentially in the parking lot. Uh, we'll have a, a, a station set up. And then uh, at this point, we're not opening our practice facility. Um, I believe, I think we can, uh, again, this is all very new and I still have to kind of get the, uh, get familiarize myself with all the ground rules but at this time just until we as a as a business can properly operate and function and understand the logistics of how you know kind of the new day-to-day life is going to be we're not going to open our practice facility quite yet so essentially you come in for your tea time you know let's say it's at two o'clock by 12 sorry by 150 you will be called to the tea uh, to be able to come up Prior to the, your tea time, you'll be able to have access to the putting green. So one group at a time will have access to the putting green, which is adjacent to our first tee. As soon as the group that's on the tee vacates it to go up the, you know, up the first fairway, you will be then called to the tee. The next group behind you will be called to the putting green. So, you know, like an on-deck circle and, uh, and in the hole for, uh, for baseball, if you will. So a um, couple of the other things, the golf carts, we're going to be uh, providing single rider golf carts. So... Uh, we won't have any sharing of, of golf carts. Still a little bit questionable, uh, questionable as to the rules on if you live within the same household, can you ride in the same cart? Again, we have 36 hours until we need to uh, we to be able to familiarize ourselves with those rules before people tip it up on Saturday morning. And uh, and then yeah, on the golf course we've we've removed ball washers, we've removed um, rakes from bunkers. 
the food and beverage uh, uh, service will be a little bit different where you'll be able to order from a menu online and pay for it online and it will be delivered to the tent tea kind of takeout food style. Um, so a lot of little things that, uh, that I think overall at the end of the day, you'll still be able to go out and play golf and you'll still be able to go out and enjoy the weather and enjoy the surroundings and, and enjoy the people that, uh, that you would normally play golf with. Um, we just ask that you don't high five or handshake. Well, if you were golfing with me, that would never be an issue. But um, uh, anyway, um, there was a point, and I'm guessing it was coming very soon. It's not inexpensive to operate a golf course. I'm guessing there was coming a point pretty soon where things would have been a little dicey if they had said you still can't get out there. This, this, if you can't do it now, your season, I'm guessing, would have been in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I mean, we're golf courses are similar to to the hotel industry where our inventory is time and, and not, uh, not a product. So as a day goes by, as an hour goes by, if we don't sell, if we don't have an ability to make revenue off that time, uh, then we, we can't ever make that money back. And so um, we've been you know, patient up to this point. Realistically, the weather has not been great. And so that's kind of a blessing in disguise for us where we, I guess in the back of our minds, we know that, uh, that it wouldn't be a full golf course anyway. Um, but you know, this weekend as the long weekend is kind of the unofficial kickoff to summer and, um, we're ready to go, you know, we were ready to go a month ago. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, the, the grass doesn't stop growing and, uh, and it doesn't uh, limit the amount that, you know, that will, that it costs us to maintain it certainly from a, a labor perspective and, and other expenses that we can cut out that, you know, that we have the ability to do so. But, um, but at the end of the day, we're, you know, if we couldn't go by this weekend, it would start getting a little dicey, you know, week after week for sure. There's another part of your business though, and everybody knows this because everybody has been to a wedding or some other event in a clubhouse on a golf course somewhere. That's a huge part of your business, the food and beverage and wedding and event thing. How much is that cutting into what you guys are able to do and the operating budget of a golf course? Yeah, I would say, I mean, obviously the, the golf, uh, you know, the green fee revenue is, is certainly the, you know, the lion's share of, of what our overall revenue would be. And um, that said, weddings are a huge part of our business and tournament uh, banquets for tournaments uh, that, you know, we would have two to three of each week. We're, we've already had through two weddings um, that would have taken place that have gone by now. Uh, and we're basically, you know, we have a wedding booked every Saturday from the 1st of May through until the end of October, um, add in a couple of Fridays in there as well. And, um, and, you know, certainly that's uh, that is a lot of revenue. Um, we've kind of, we've altered our business. And, and when we were forced to close, we've, we altered our business in, in terms of the food and beverage to be able to start offering takeout. We never expected really, we didn't really know what it would, what we would get out of it. Um, but the demand that we've had for our food, I mean, this past weekend, we did mother's day, uh, mother's day, full, fully prepared dinner, Saturday and Sunday between the two days, we did 831 meals. Um, so wow. we've found ways to kind of, I guess, read and react and, and we'll continue to do so. And that's the nice thing about our business here is, is that we're, um, you know, we, we're not kind of governed by a board. Um, if I, uh, if I want to change something, uh, I've got one man to answer to, and that's my father. So that's the, uh, that's the nice <laughs> thing about it, that, that we can kind of change things. And, and that's what we're ready to, to do here for the golfers. When they start showing up on Saturday, Again, it's a whole new world for us, for golfers, for, for everybody involved. And so as, as things progress and as things go throughout the day, um, you know, you, you just kind of evolve as things go. And, um, you know, the last few years before I came back to manage the golf course here, I was managing PGA Tour events. And, 
same same thing. As you uh, as you show up to a new venue, something doesn't work, change it, and nobody else is you know the people that come in later in the day don't know what's supposed to happen. So we'll keep working and and taking recommendations from golfers and um, yeah, just to be able to provide the best experience we possibly can and and the safest experience we can. We're out of time, unfortunately, but if someone waits until say five or six o'clock today to try and book a tee time, when will they be waiting to, to be able to get onto a course? Well, you know what? I, I mean, I, I suppose the weather for the weekend, it's not great. So the, the Saturday is, is clearly the day that, every, that everybody's trying to get out. It's, it's the first day and it's, it looks to be the best day of the weekend weather-wise. Um, so I, I would think if you don't have a tee time already in your calendar for Saturday, I, I don't think you're probably going to get one anywhere. Um, I don't think we're probably too indifferent from many other golf courses. And so um, I think as the, you know, the, the kind of the shine will wear off a little bit um, over the next week, but uh, I think, I think you'll be able to get a time. It just might not be at uh, eight 30 on a Saturday morning. Barry Forth from Coketown Woods golf course. Thanks so much. Uh, good luck. Now that you, now that you can open, good luck. Thanks for doing this. Thanks Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Last segment, we were talking about money. We were talking about debt and deficit. And honestly, some, I think, some scary, scary numbers. Um, And again, I mean, certainly things that these are unprecedented. We've heard that word a lot. Unprecedented times, unusual times. There are things that have had to have been done. There's no question. It's just, okay, how do we deal with this later? Well, we're going to continue talking a little bit about money. That's because yesterday during Doug Ford's news conference uh, that you heard here on 900 CHML, as you will hear today's at 1.30, the premier was asked about a request for something like $500 million to keep the TTC going in Toronto. That amount apparently is needed to keep public transit operating. Here's what the premier had to say yesterday. They're going to need our support. We're going to be there. We're going to be at the table, but we're, we can't do it alone. We need the federal government to, to support us. Just too big of a, a ticket, and uh, I'm sure we'll be mentioning this on our on our weekly call with the other premiers as well because it's uh, it's very concerning. So, if 500 million dollars is a is too big a ticket or a big big ticket or a, I can't remember the exact words he just said there, um, with ballooning deficits threatening. Um, actually, it's beyond that now. There's no doubt that we have giant, bigger deficits. Um, and our economy in the province is, you know, it is what it is. What about, so if $500 million is too much, what about a billion dollars for the LRT? I know, everyone's favorite three letters. Everyone's favorite three letters. But if $500 million for the TTC is too much for the province to absorb, what about the billion dollars that has been hanging over this city and the subject of great debate and discussion and argument and family squabbling and neighbor fighting for years now? Is that money still going to be there when this whole thing is over? Donna Skelly is the MPP for Flamborough Glanbrook. She joins us now. Donna, how are you today? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I am well. So let's just dive right to that question. First of all, is the billion dollars in light of everything else that's happening and all the money that's had to have been spent, do we still have a billion dollars for an LRT if we choose to go that route? We do. At least that is the last conversation I had with both the Premier and the Minister of Transportation that the Premier said the billion dollars is still on the table for a project in the city of Hamilton. As you know, a task force has recommended three uh, separate um, proposals. One is an LRT, a BRT, and extended GO service. 
that task force recommendation or those recommendations now uh, are uh, with the Metrolinx and uh, Infrastructure Ontario. They're looking at it and they will be giving their recommendation to the Minister of Transportation. So yes, as far as I know, the money is still on the table. But Scott, uh, if, if I could say, it's much more than a billion, though, and, and that, I think, is the real question. Where will the rest of the money come from? Right. And, and first of all, thank you for clarifying, because you're absolutely right. The, the possibility is a BRT or expanded GO or LRT, so it's not just the... But LRT is the the way that we all seem to get into this discussion. Um, let's Okay, so... If it's a billion dollars, and I'm assuming that if Doug Ford is saying, look, we're going to have to go to get help from the federal government for the TTC, would it be a a fair assumption on my part that if the city were to go to the province and say, look, the LRT or BRT or whatever is going to cost us more than a billion, that that's going to be a very hard sell right now with the province? I think it's very challenging. We have a tremendous amount of pressures right now that we're dealing with to to help people who are struggling deeply uh, post-COVID-19 and during COVID-19 to ask for money beyond the billion that has already been committed for transit in Hamilton, I think would be very challenging. I certainly can't speak for the Premier, but I think it would be a, a very difficult request to fulfill, which leaves us with, even if we were to propose or, or, or to bring money forward, which I really think would be would be difficult to to do. The federal government doesn't have a program that I'm aware of currently that would uh, provide the remaining amount of money needed to build the LRT as it has been uh, laid out and, and as costed um, as recently as December when the minister was in Hamilton. We know that it's about three and a half billion dollars, and that uh, doesn't include the operating and maintenance costs. So, if we're short two and a half billion dollars, I'm unaware of any program at the federal level that would provide that two and a half billion dollars without any funding from the city of Hamilton or any municipality. It's usually a three-level government. Um, project or program that that uh, the feds put forward so having if we follow what historically they have done then the municipality would be on the hook and and it's interesting because the mayor has as recently as as april indicated that he is aware of interest from the private sector to enter into an arrangement with uh the city of hamilton the province and the federal government but I mean, I'd like the mayor to clarify when he raises this particular uh, proposal of of having a relationship or or accessing funding through the private sector. Is he suggesting that there is a potential private sector investor that is either going to give a third of the money to the city of Hamilton? We'll say based on, you know, something as simple as, say, 26% of the $3.2 billion, so in excess of $800 million. Is he suggesting that a private sector investor would give the city $800 million, or is he suggesting that the city would borrow that money? And if we borrow it, is the city of Hamilton prepared to borrow $800 to $1 billion uh, for LRT and have to pay that back plus interest? So I think that's a question that when the mayor raises this 
possibility of pursuing LRT and, and finding the funding from the private sector and the feds, I, I hope he would clarify, or I wish he would clarify, is he asking residents in the city of Hamilton to come forward now and support a plan that includes borrowing up, you know, up to a billion dollars to pay for the LRT. I think that's a very different scenario. We've never really had to look at it that way. But in this interview with Keenan Loomis in April, he suggested that there is an opportunity to pursue this with support from the private sector. I think it needs to be clarified. Well, and certainly the earth has shifted under our feet in the last number of months. And so uh, there may, I suppose, and may still um, be a feeling among the federal government right now that, you know, with all the money that's flowing out of there for this and that and the other, maybe it's, oh, well, what's another billion or two and we can help out and we can jump in. And even though there may not be an established program, they're making up programs right now for other things. So who knows, maybe we can find some money there. But Donna, there, there is a second part to this which is it's been laid out very clearly that the city of Hamilton right now is running something like a $23 billion shortfall because people can't pay their taxes or whatever. Um, and the, 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 the suggestion has been that cities, not just Hamilton, but others who are facing a similar thing will be going either to the province or the federal government to help them out with that as well. And when I start looking at all these different things that cities are going to be asking for, I do wonder... All right, if you're going if we're going to bail you out from a 23 million dollar deficit, do we really have money to do billions more on top of that for other projects? I I start to get to the point where I say even a federal government that's now as we talked about last segment potentially going to hit hit a 1 trillion dollar debt, there has to be an end point, I would think. Eventually somebody has to pick up the tab and pay it back, and that's the, the scary thing. I mean, we are we have to do something, there's no doubt. And when you start talking about hundreds of billions of dollars, it's so it's so enormous that, you know, an extra billion here, an extra billion there may not seem like a lot, but it is because we do have to, to pay it back. And whether it's you and me or our kids or, or our, our grandchildren, somebody is going to have to pick up the tab. And don't forget, we're not sure if, if this virus is going to resurface or something in the future. I pray that that doesn't happen, but we know something is going to happen. So we are on a very uh, difficult course moving forward to help our private sector recover from this devastating blow with COVID-19. Is this money well spent? If, if we do, if, if the city or other cities go to their um, provincial governments and our federal government asking for money. Is this the way we want to spend it? Is this the best way to to uh, improve our economy and to recover from this epidemic? Those are questions that uh, we're going to have to consider. I do know that there are opportunities uh, of growth. We're seeing economic growth, and we're very fortunate in the city of Hamilton to have Hamilton Airport and the busiest, one of the busiest cargo airports in the country, the busiest overnight cargo airport. I was just up there this morning at the cargo jet facility, and it is so busy. It's it's incredibly um, well run. It's very efficient. And the the, car, the the cargo um, area is um, actually they're looking for people because they they have so much activity ongoing, and of course with more and more people t- 
turning to online shopping, et cetera, it's, it's actually an opportunity to see economic growth for the city of Hamilton and to perhaps create even more jobs. So we are fortunate to have that particular airport. Uh, Kathy Puckering is, is uh, uh, the uh, president and CEO of the airport. She's done a phenomenal job focusing on, may not be the sexiest thing, but it certainly is one of the most um, uh, productive in terms of the economy right now, and that is the movement of cargo. So that'll be a big, I think, a big part of uh, the economic recovery for the city of Hamilton. I mean, look, there, there's there's so many things, so many requests uh, going to the federal government, the provincial government. We know that. We know uh, people are hurting. I mean, look, I, I don't want to sound unsympathetic in any way. We understand people are hurting. I, I can't remember the exact number now of people who are who's either have lost their jobs or their income has dropped considerably. These are tough, tough times. As you say, however, there is a point you would think that at, that somebody is going to have to say, no, here's the problem for Donna, for you, for the rest of your government. I mean, Doug Ford and your government has received uh, great praise uh, uh, widely for the way it's handled and he has handled this crisis. But the minute, and you know this, the minute you start saying no, that tide starts to turn and people start getting angry and, um, you know, is very unpopular for politicians to say no, especially in difficult times. Exactly. And we know that when we do uh, enter into the recovery phase, and we will be, and the, the Premier will be speaking about phase one at uh, 1.30 this afternoon, and, and we will be reopening a number of sectors of the economy. But that's only phase one. Uh, one area we have to focus on and we have to direct uh, more money and more resources is in our long-term care facilities. That's going to take a lot of money and uh, a lot of resources, and I think it is the priority. Our health care system and our long-term care system really is going to be the priority coming out of this, and then, of course, everything else. So there will be huge pressures on our taxpayers and if there is really only one taxpayer so whether it comes from the feds the province or from the municipal government we are all going to be paying for the the debt that we have uh, incurred and the amount of programs that uh, the governments will be offering to help businesses that are struggling deeply during this during this crisis are there, this may be a stupid question, I don't know, because everything ultimately costs money, but whether it's money for LRT or BRT or long-term care facilities or propping up other businesses or helping other things, are there alternatives to straight cash handouts? Is there really anything, or ultimately does it all end up costing money? So whether it's an alternative, it's still going towards the deficit. Yes, there are alternatives, uh, indirectly, I guess. But if you look at why the film industry in Ontario is so successful. It is because of the tax incentives. We have talent. There's no doubt about that. But the reality is foreign companies come to Ontario because of the tax credits. And the reason why Hamilton is such a popular destination, I believe it's number three or four in Canada right now for movie production, is because the minute you get outside of the GTA, we are considered uh, a city that is just on the border. So anybody that chooses to produce a film in Hamilton gets an additional 10% tax credit. That's absolutely critical when uh, you are in that particular industry. So 
Are there ways other than an actual handout? Yes, and those are tax incentives. And I can see our government offering uh, tax incentives. I've been hosting a number of uh, roundtables and Zoom conference calls with stakeholders right across the city of Hamilton, all different sectors. And I recall specifically one one, um, small business owner asking if we could restructure the tax payment plan so that they could they could apply a lot of the losses from this year to last year's tax um, uh, tax file. And so I think that those are the kind of unique outside-the-box proposals that we're going to have to consider to give businesses a tax break. It can't just be a handout. It's going to have to be a lot more. There may be other things as well. We're going to have to figure out how to get people to go back to work because it's a, it's there's also an incentive uh if you can stay home and you don't have to go to work some people are thinking well you know especially young people in school should i get a summer job or should i take advantage of this federal opportunity and is that going to cause a problem with once we do see the economy rebounding finding people to fill those jobs as i said i was just up at the airport and if you drive into the cargo jet uh, area it says you know we're hiring right now we're looking for people and that's not an unusual um, sign to see just before the COVID-19 crisis struck. We had created as a province 300,000 plus jobs. And I'm on a committee that travels across the province and it didn't matter where I traveled. Didn't it, regardless of the region, regardless of the sector, there was a desperate need to find workers skilled and unskilled. Um, and I'm not sure coming out of this where we will be in terms of, of that uh, access to uh, to the workforce. I, I certainly hope that, um, I mean, there are options for, and we've heard about it, and again, I don't disagree in principle with the program that says if you're a student and you can't find a summer job, that we will help you out to get your tuition paid or whatever. But I certainly hope employers, especially private and public employers, at the end of this, when they go to hire someone, they look at the resumes of people who are summer students right now. And if it comes down to a close call between two people and one of them decided to go out and work in the summer and one said, I'm going to stay home and collect government money. Geez, I hope all those employers say I'm hiring the one who went out and worked and did something and was productive and showed some, some incentive or whatever else, because, you know, I get it. We need to help, but I don't, Personally, I mean, look, if you can work, you should work. This, this to me, should not be a, a free-for-all. But, I mean, let me get back very quickly because we only have a minute or so left here. That's my rant. Um, let me get back to the point for a second here, though. We have to be getting close. And we started with the LRT and whether or not a billion dollars are still there. We do have to be getting close to the point that the province, and I won't ask you about the feds because that's not you, but the province has to be tapped out and saying we just can't do anymore. Or is it endless? Can we keep going on? It isn't endless, and we can't keep going on. We have to, we have to be um, very cognizant of the fact that at the end of all of this, somebody is paying for it. And how much debt can we afford to uh, accumulate? We have to keep people safe. We have to take care of our seniors. But we also have to remember that at the end of the day, it has to be paid for. And that's just a, a cold, hard fact. And, um, you know, we'll be... We'll be trying to figure it out, but hopefully our economy will recover and we'll see a lot of tax dollars flowing back into our provincial coffers to help pay for it. But uh, it's going to be a tough, tough, tough uh, couple of years ahead. 
Flamborough Glanbrook MPP Donna Scaly, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Anytime. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, I'm going to start with a number that might shock you. You might want to sit down for this one. This is not a number that we have talked about in Canada ever before, at least not for us. We've heard about it from other countries, not for us. Last week, the Parliamentary Budget Office said that this year's deficit is probably going to be around $250 billion. That's our deficit. Now, that that you've heard. That's not new news today. Uh, although, more recently, we heard that's probably an optimistic number, and it could come in higher than 250 I think the actual number was $252 billion. Now, we are hearing that by year's end, Canada's national debt could reach $1 trillion with a T. With a T, $1 trillion. You know how much $1 trillion is? I had to look this up because, of course, none of us have a trillion dollars. What does this mean? Let me give you two illustrations of what a trillion is just to understand how much money this is. If you fill the Canadian football field with $100 bills, side to side, stack them, and went from the 10-yard line to the 10-yard line, that pile would be 10 feet deep of $100 bills. That's a trillion. Or, and this one is even more stunning to me, there are 31,536,000 seconds in a year. A trillion seconds, if we were to back it up from where we are now, would take us almost back to 30,000 BC. I'm not making this stuff. I mean, the numbers are staggering. That's how much our debt could be. Ian Lee is with the Sprott School of Management at Carleton University. Uh, He joins me now. Ian, thanks for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, Scott. Uh, we keep hearing that uh, from experts, and I don't know who experts are exactly, but that this number isn't terribly concerning right now, uh, even if it is a little shocking because interest rates are so low that, you know, we can handle this. It's the GDP and the balance and all the rest of that stuff. Um, that said, uh, interest rates can go up. A- at what point, or should we be concerned, or at what point should we be concerned when we start talking about a trillion-dollar debt? Well, First off, I am concerned, and and I've read the and these are very distinguished economists, and you have to parse this or interpret it or read it very carefully. They're saying right now a trillion dollars is not that concerning. Well, yeah, I agree. If it's only a trillion dollars and it stopped right now, and that was it, all over, game over, we're all back to work, coronavirus is over, great, we can afford a trillion, we can as a percentage of GDP, it's it's affordable, it's sustainable. What every one of these people have, because uh, I've read their comments or seen their interviews, they're very, very careful not to talk about huh, next year and the year after. Now, I want to pose a rhetorical question to you and your listeners. Can you or anybody identify any member of parliament or political leader or union leader or NGO or premier who says, okay, that quarter of a trillion deficit, $250 billion is a quarter of a trillion, it's got to stop at the end of the fiscal year and go back to zero. And then, because otherwise, if we don't, we're adding that on top of the trillion we're going to owe at the end of this year. And if it goes for two years, then we're going to add a half a trillion on top of the trillion. Okay? So what I'm trying to say is it's not the trillion at this moment, this very instant in time, that's troubling me. What's troubling me enormously is there is absolutely no exit strategy being announced by the Prime Minister or the Minister of Finance. People raise their hand, I need help over here, I'm seniors, yes you do, okay, another program. 
And by the way, I'm not, I'm not criticizing these programs. It may sound like I am. That's not my point at all. My point is that every program should be announced with an exit strategy. This program will run for 90 days or 60 days or 30 days or six months. But we're going to wind it down at that point. And so what's going to happen, in my view, and we've seen this happen in past recessions, only these numbers are way, way, way bigger, is that the moment you try to wind it down, all hell breaks loose. Mm. Um, I'm not here to defend Stephen Harper. He's not even in politics. I remember when he was trying to eliminate the deficit of $50 billion. Not a quarter of a trillion, $50 billion. And so he was cutting spending by $10 billion a year. And howls went out across the country. You would have thought that he was, I don't know, um, torturing human beings hmm. uh, because he wanted to take $10 billion a year out of spending to downsize the deficit from $50 billion over five years down to zero. And as I said, all hell broke loose over a $10 billion reduction. We're now handing out more than a quarter of a trillion, and I predict with great confidence that we're going to hand out next year something approximating that. Now, maybe, you know, might be $10 billion less, it could be, but it's going to be plus $200 billion, well north, probably a quarter of a trillion again, because this year, by the way, there are some people saying it's not going to be a quarter of a trillion. They're going to hit three hundred. Okay, right. which is a right. third yeah. of a trillion. And, and so where I'm going is that um, people can say, so what, these are really huge numbers. I don't even understand these numbers, neither do I, by the way. But let's, let's put them into context. Right now, at this very moment in time, at this moment, the government account is 50, went from 30% overnight to not quite 50% debt to GDP. So what? We can afford it. Yes, we can. It took 30 years, 70s, 80s, 90s, to get to 68% debt to GDP, took 30 years, that's a third of a century, to get to 68% when somebody called Prime Minister Chrétien and then Finance Minister Martin announced the largest downsizing in Canadian history, and they laid off about 80,000 public servants, terminated them, not just temporarily, they weren't furloughed, they were sold, you were no longer have a job. And they did that because they said at 68% the debt was unsustainable. We've just jumped from 30 to 50 in one jump. I think it's 48 to be precise. Now, add on a quarter of a trillion for another two years, and we're going to blow by, just waving at Gretchen in the, in the, in the rearview mirror, uh, we're going to blow by his number. That here's the thing, the Ian. downsizing uh, in Canadian history. Here's the thing about this. That's I was watching... the concern I have. It's the trend line. It's the trend line. I was watching something last night, and I can't remember, to be honest, if it was a commercial or the news. Um, I, I should probably distinguish between those two, but I can't remember where I saw it. Um, and there was a politician on there, I can't remember who, who said, look, if you've been applying for a grant or a something, some money, a bailout, and you went to this office, this program, and you couldn't get it, and then you tried over at that program, and you couldn't get it, and then you tried at that program, and you couldn't get it. Hey, come to us. We'll, we'll make sure that you get your money. Right. And the, the, the inference, the thing I took from that is, wait a second, somewhere along the way, I think some government is going to have to say no to some things. That's right. We can't just give out money to everybody who asks for money, whatever amount they say they need it. It's, it's painful. These are difficult times and no politician likes to say no, because that is not a recipe for getting reelected, but somewhere we That's have right. to say no, don't we? I'll give you a very concrete example. Uh, they just announced a, a top up for seniors. 
people can say, oh, my God, are you against seniors? Well, let's put on the record, I, moi, Ian Lee, is a senior. I'm over 65. I don't need a top-up. I do not want a top-up. I did not get laid off. Seniors, by definition, who are retired cannot be laid off. You can't be laid off being retired. I think everybody can agree to that. Okay? And if you're working and you got laid off, then there's all that alphabet soup of programs we already have, the CERB and so forth, to look after you. What I'm trying to say is the $2.5 billion they did, and this is on top of, keep in mind, they already topped up the OAS and the GIS in the last two budgets. I believe it was the last two budgets. In the last four years, it got topped up very significantly. That's good. I supported that. But why did we do $2.5 billion two days ago? When these are people who are not working, they're not being laid off, and they're, they're staying at home, and he gave out $2.5 billion. I think it was done quite – I'll be very blunt. I'm not going to dance around here and try and mislead you or anybody. I think it was done for pure political reasons. It wasn't done because seniors have suddenly found themselves in a different financial situation because of the coronavirus. Uh, I am a senior. My costs have actually gone down. Why? Because I'm staying home all the time. I'm not driving my car. I hardly put any gas in the car. I don't go to Starbucks anymore. I don't go to Tim Hortons anymore. I don't go to restaurants anymore. I can't. I don't go out anymore. I'm not buying my savings. My money's piling up in my bank account because I can't spend it. And, and saying, Ian, there's what? Well, you, me... you need help. You're a senior. You need help. How me... do I need help if I can't go outside and I can't spend my money? Let me now, jump in again. Be... listening will get really angry. I want to repeat for the third or fourth time. I am a senior. Hmm. The There are people who will say, and I know there are people listening right now who will say, oh, come on, don't sweat it. We've heard that this is okay. And yes, Ian has just said that it may not be down the road, but it's, you know, whatever. H- here is why I get really concerned about this beyond just what happens in the future. Paying the interest. We have to, we still, even though we may not have to pay this entire debt back tomorrow, we still have to service this debt, right. and right now, paying the interest on the uh, on a trillion dollars would be about thirty billion dollars a year. That's money we're flushing down the toilet that can't build hospitals or roads or run programs or doing. That's thirty billion yeah. we are throwing away. That's right, and that's with incredibly low interest rates. If now, the interest rates double, and that's quite possible because it's so low, we could be talking sixty billion a year. We have to pay for nothing. I've been bringing up this argument, and uh, some people have uh, been very angry at me. Don't you understand? We're in low interest rates. Well, I was a mortgage manager in 1980 at the fourth largest branch of the Bank of Montreal in Canada, Ottawa main office, and interest rates hit two zero. That's the decimal after the zero, not before the zero. I didn't say 2.0. I said 20.00, 20%. So anybody who says interest rates cannot go up to much higher levels do not know their Canadian history. I am not predicting interest rates are going to 20%. Absolutely not. What I am suggesting is what Milton Friedman won a Nobel Prize for in the uh, late 70s or early 80s. doesn't matter. People can look it up. He wrote this magnum opus, this unbelievable masterpiece. He didn't just study Canada. In fact, I don't think he mentioned Canada. He studied governments around the world for two thousand years not just western european capitalist successful countries he studied ancient rome he studied egypt he studied the phoenicians and all down through history to the present two thousand years 
And what he discovered was every last government, when it became deeply, deeply, deeply indebted, would deliberately engineer inflation into the system so they could pay back the, the debt with cheap, cheaper money. That's what inflation does, is it cheapens the debt. It reduces the amount you actually owe. I know that's true. It's not a theory. I bought my first house. I was 26 years old in 1976, and I bought a garden home in Ottawa for $38,000. Inflation was at 8%, and it kept going up. It went to 10, and they said, no, 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 that's it. Inflation's not going above 10. Nope, nope, nope. Then it went to 12. Nope, nope, not going above 12. Then it went to 14. Then it went to 16. Then it went to 18. And finally, the Federal Reserve in the United States said, okay, we're going to squeeze inflation out of the system. We're going to drive up interest rates so high until all of you scream uncle. And we all screamed uncle because they created a massive recession. And they drove in inflation down to two. My point where I'm going is anyone who thinks that we can print trillions, and I'm not just talking Canada now. Remember, China's printing trillions. The U.S. government's printing trillions. The Germans are printing trillions. They're pumping trillions into the system around the world. We're doing it, too, through the Bank of Canada and the, and the government of Canada. And anyone who thinks that you can do this without consequence, in other words, there is a free lunch, they're saying, well, then if that's the case, why stop? Let's just keep on printing to infinity, and why stop at only printing a quarter of a trillion if there's no consequences, if they're truly, if, and there are people who believe that. One person wrote me a letter from after I was on the show, your show, uh, about a week ago, and he wrote me and said, there's no consequences whatsoever. There will mm. not be any increase in inflation. There's no problem. Well, if that's the case, why stop at a quarter of a trillion? My goodness, we can eliminate poverty. Let's go run it up to half a trillion or a trillion deficit and just I, print I, it forever. I because wish we could if, keep if going. Lunch, you can clearly understand by my sarcasm, I yes. do not believe in free lunches. I agree. And look, I wish we could talk about this for two more hours. Unfortunately, I have to take a break. But uh, Dr. Lee, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Ian Lee from the Sprott School of Management. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, just one comment that may betray my own biases on this one. But I keep hearing these, your government handouts, government bailouts. Uh, remember, government money is taxpayers' money. Government has no money except what it collects from us. So all this money is spending our money. Don't forget that because some people are very cavalier seemingly about this. This is our money that is being spent. In some cases, very importantly. But at some point, we surely have to say no. The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.